Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Living in this country, but I want to do a bit of a test. All right, I'm going to hum. I'm going to hum a tune to the embarrassment of my lovely wife. And if you can recognize this tune, just tell me what you think. It is. I'll hum the tune and then I'll sing it. All right. The other one, you're going to. I'll sing something and let's see whether you can actually finish the So, just uh, saying at this point, you can cover your eyes. So, if I say something like this. And actually, it's not just us. Actually, you go all around the world, people are moved by stories. And stories are not just when you say once upon a time and you end with happily ever after. Stories are actually what we see all around the world. So, for instance, we are moved by entertainment, right? Almost every one of us here has a series that we follow. You don't binge, you know, binge watching. I know some people probably even came late to church today because they actually watched maybe a particular series, 16 episodes, all in one go. So that's entertainment, and sometimes stories we use for moral lessons. How many times have you ever heard somebody says a particular thing, he wants to tell you something, and then he speaks almost in parables, and then eventually ends with, and the moral of the story is, right? We use stories to actually give moral lessons. And advertisements, right? Advertisements, in fact, those are the ultimate stories, but they punch it off in one 30 seconds. This product, this is what your life is going to be. So take, for instance, insecticide, right? Without this product, this is what happens. You keep going, you keep having malaria, you keep taking your children to the hospital, your energy, your bills keep going up, you know, eventually you become bankrupt. How can we change? How can we make you more flourishing? Just by rape, by big up, right? Next thing you see is dead mosquitoes. You see children jumping, happy. And you see the husband and wife, I mean, insecticide actually solves marital problems. <laughs> That's essentially what they're saying. So get this product and then your whole life will change. Now, what is the message that they're trying to send? The message is get the product. But they put it in a storyline. In other words, there's a statement that arises out of the story. And you see, the Bible isn't foreign to this thing. The Bible actually latches on to this. Quite often, maybe we think uh, we may have a wrong view of the Bible. Sometimes some people see the Bible as a book of laws, really, right? It's about telling you what not to do and what to do. But actually, the Bible is not a book of, it's not a law book, even though it contains laws. Sometimes we think the Bible is a pragmatic book telling us how to live our lives in a way that is actually quite proficient and efficient. Now, the Bible is not a pragmatic book, even though it contains a lot of problems. The Bible, some people think, is a spiritist book. No, it's not, even though it contains a lot of spiritual truths. Some people think the Bible is a philosophical book. Now, even though it has a lot of philosophical musings, it's not a philosophical, philosophical book. I find that some people think that the Bible is a book of secret, is a secret code book, really. You know, secret code, you have to find this thing. Now, the truth is that the Bible, actually, it doesn't contain Alright, so, just forget about it, alright? Now, the primary genre of the Bible is that it is a story. 
it's not just a collection of stories, it's one big story. Some people call it a narrative, a meta-narrative. A story where God is actually trying to give us a particular thing. He's trying to send to us a particular news. News that is the most meaningful kind of news for you, for you and for, for me. So I want us to look at the gospel story. That's the title of this message. Gospel story, I want to see it in three parts, really. Alright, three parts. It is our story is one. God's story, and whose story? Like the question. And so, we're looking at our stories, God's story, and whose story? Now, Faye read to us a certain passage which is very, very interesting, right? If you look at verse 17b and verse 22a, it says, now, this is what has happened, or maybe I shouldn't tell you what happened. Let's just keep going, right? These two disciples are walking down a particular road with Zambaya, something has happened. See that something has happened in verse 14 and something has happened in verse 18b. They say something has happened and they meet this person called Jesus Christ, they don't know it's him, and they say, Don't you know what has happened? And he's asking them this because their character, there's something about them, he says that they are downcast and they are amazed. When he says they're amazed, it's not amazed in the sense of you know out, out of wonder. It's almost like the weak word there is almost like they are beside themselves, they are really, really sad. And angry because something has happened. Now, what has happened? Verse 19, a means a Jesus of Nazareth, that's their hero. Their hero has been executed in verse 20, executed by the authorities like a mere criminal, according to the Romans, and like an accursed man, according to the Jews. Now, when they put it in that way, you can say, well, okay, yeah, fine, that's you somehow. But you really don't understand the force of that truth, that statement that we just made in verse 20, if you don't understand the story that these people had built around that. Now, in that sense, when you think about the story, especially when you're interjected in the middle of the story, the story can be broken into two parts, every kind of story. You have the back story, and then you have the front story. The story eventually brings out meaningful statements about our lives, and then forces us into a particular kind of attitude and action. I'll say that again. A story actually brings out a meaningful statement, something truthful, or something that actually is just an experience, and actually forces us to actually a kind of behavior and action, um, which we then continue to proceed on. Now, what is the, the backstory? The backstory is basically a background, or we can say history. The history, someone's background and history, leads them to behave in a certain kind of way, and then actually they, they go into action. Or sometimes the front story is that someone has hope for something that they're looking for, or they predict something that is going to happen and that leads them into a certain kind of behavior. So for instance, with the front story, right? Maybe not just what you're hoping, but some of us maybe here are investment bankers. And some of us, even though we don't like investment bankers, we give them our money so that they can help us invest. Now they look at the markets, they predict what's going to happen, some of us do real estate, we look at the market and say, what do we think the prices are going to be in the next two years? That's something we look forward to, and then we say, based on that, I'm going to act in a certain way in the present. Or let me illustrate one more way um, uh, with this film that I just saw the end towards. How many of us have seen John, John Q? Is it John Q or John Q? John Q. John Q. You've not seen it. If you've not, if you've not seen John Q, read up your hand. All right, okay, keep it, keep, it, keep it up, keep it up, shame on you, all right? John Q is a very fantastic movie. Okay, let me just put this in. In John Q, towards the end, towards the end, what happens is that you see a particular man 
who's been convicted? Why is he been convicted? He's been convicted because he, he kidnapped a whole number of people under duress and got them to do particular things. And so you look at him and say, well, this guy has actually broken the law. That's bad. That's bad, right? Kidnapping. I don't know if any of you have been involved in it or know anyone I have. Kidnapping is actually torturous. And so he's been convicted. So you think about it, you say, yes, bad man, end of story. Now, but if you understand the backstory and the front, and the front story was that, you actually, even though you may not necessarily still condone kidnapping, you may empathize. The backstory is this, that this man has a little son, probably the age of my son, about four or five, who is badly in need of an operation. If he doesn't get the operation, he's going to die. And for very many reasons, that's one of them denied the operation. So what did he do? He had to kidnap people. He had to kidnap the nurses. He had to kidnap the hospital. He had to kidnap the doctors. And ensure under duress that eventually they treated that son. Eventually, all those people were actually pleased. They actually didn't feel bad for thinking. I thought about that. Not feeling bad for someone actually kidnapping. But that was the case. And the front story, obviously, is the back story is that the son is dying and he will do anything to do that. I don't know how many of us have little children. Well, there are quite a few of us. Wouldn't you do anything for your child to actually make those children? And at the end of the day, what is the front story? The front story is that if he is dying, he actually has a future for that boy. He wants to see that boy first. But he wants to attend his graduation. He wants to actually attend his wedding. He wants to see grandkids come from that child. And so what the man does is set again within the context of the story. Now, as Lagosians, which all of us are here, our culture does project many stories. And we've actually entered into that story. But some of us, are the truth of our life right now is that we work tirelessly. In fact, not just tirelessly, we work probably slavishly. And you say, well, then we have to understand why I'm working like this. There is a backstory, and the backstory is that maybe you come from a very poor background. And that is essentially what you don't want to see happen in your life again. Or wealth is the primary source of value that you put to yourself. One story is that you now believe that a certain income or bank account balance will eradicate poverty forever, leading to freedom and perpetual happiness. And so because of that, you work times. Another one is that some of us are in abusive relationships. The backstory is, don't understand, it's my first love. The only one I ever had. What do I do? Or now their children born. Or marriage for you is your own source of identity. Or even worse still, you came from a broken family background and you're saying no matter what happens, this is not going to happen in my own life. And so you stay in a relationship. And what's the front story? He or she will change. No change. Or it may not change, but at least my children will have a secure future. So you see, our lives, all of us that come here, the truth of our lives or the statement of our lives are set in stories that have shaped us before we came to where we are and what we are looking forward to. But you see, these stories are challenged because disaster often strikes and doesn't help us make sense of the story again. So in verse 19b and verse 21, what is happening with these disciples? They have a particular backstory and a front story that they've actually constructed. So in verse 19b, we see that Jesus, he said, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Verse 21. But we had hoped, so the first one was their backstory, but we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, is the third day since all this took place. 
they had fought in their mind. You see, they saw him in the prophet. Wow, this guy he wants so many miracles. This is a story like so. We expect that this guy is going to be the person that is going to redeem this country, that God's own country, under the oppression of the Roman rulers, and he's going to take us, lead us out. That's what they thought. They thought he was going to be this kind of warrior king. I don't know. Maybe he's going to raise an army of people and, go, and they're going to topple Caesar. I mean, good luck with that. Or probably he was going to rain down curses and actually bring all. That's the story that built on. And now disaster strikes. Because no powerful Messiah who actually works out miracles can die. Or at least before he finishes his purpose. Or not only should he not, but if he dies, how can he die like a man that's accursed, like a mere criminal? And in many ways, that's the same way our stories are being challenged. All of a sudden, that particular piece of work, that work or that particular job you've been looking for, is not giving you the fulfillment you thought was going to give. Or that particular relationship is actually going south. That's what's happened. In other words, just the same way these people's lives were wrought. It's the same way many of our own lives are wrought. But there are some of us that are in a worse situation, actually. You see, the thing that you were looking forward to, you've actually started living. You actually have that bank balance. In fact, more than that bank balance. You've actually gotten that super white. You pink hair and more blue. And you feel, okay, pink hair, no. It's blue now and red, I don't know. All these new attachments of that day. But besides the point, you are living the life you always dreamt for yourself. You're now the CEO of a particular company. Now you have the influence and the power that you thought, once I do this, then I'll be somebody. And you know what? You've assessed it, and guess what? It feels average. Just average. And so now it's not the tyranny of losing what I've always wanted, it's the tyranny of actually getting what I've wanted and I've been lost in it. So the problem for living with the culture stories is that our histories are not error-proof the way we think about it, or we can't guarantee the future outcomes. Or if we get the future outcomes, they actually do not satisfy us. So what do we do? My second point. God's own stories. Now why is it that stories resonate with all of us? All around the world, people build their lives on stories. Well, one reason the way the Bible puts it, and permit me again if you're not a Christian here, but just enter into our world and see whether it makes sense. But one reason is that the Bible says that every human being is created in God's image. The reason why we resonate with stories is that the God who has created us actually is a storyteller himself. In fact, he is the grand storyteller. He is the one who actually, because he's telling a story, we all resonate with stories. I'm telling you something about the structure of stories. A theologian and musicologist in Cambridge that actually says the basic structure of almost every story in every culture is this four parts home, tension, resolution, and home again. Home, tension, resolution, and home again. In other words, we kind of end up where we start. So you start with once upon a time, everything is at equilibrium, and then there's a problem, there's a bit of chaos. And then that chaos is actually solved, and we finish with equilibrium again, and they live happily ever after. Okay, let me give you a more familiar one for some of people who didn't have stories. Let me know. 1980s Great B action movies. Yeah, that one. I'm talking about the actor never dies. Right? You know that one, right? What usually happens? The actor starts. Actor has a nice family. Everything is okay. The children go to school. It's a 
Pipesco, you know, part of PTA, everything is going well. He has good employees, and guess what? One bad guy comes in and he kills the actor never dies. So he doesn't die, the family actually dies. He kills the wife, he kills the children. Actor is very, very, very angry. What happens? All of a sudden, actor becomes a superhero kind of guy. We don't know, he goes into one jungle somewhere, he gets tattooed up, he meets one. I don't know, Yokoshuki or somebody, and then he actually gets trained, he gets his guns. We don't know where he stores all these guns, but he happens to have all of them, and he's able to work with them. And in the midst of trying to confront the bad guy, he now finds out that the bad guy has actually taken one particular girl, right? And he starts, he's, he's somehow he's interacting with this girl, and he starts falling in love with this girl. And so what happens, but the bad guy is taken and he's locked out somewhere. The bad guy has like 1,500 people. The actor comes, he kills all the 1,500 people. He kills them in about five minutes, and then you have to fight the bad guy, right? You kill five people in 1,500 minutes, but the bad guy is like 30 minutes, right? They have to At this point, you're thinking the actor is going to die. He's killing him, he's doing everything, he's at the end of the season. And somehow, actor never dies, somehow the other guy dies. And then he rescues the girl, and guess what? <laughs> now, it may seem a bit comical, but that's the structure of any kind of movie. The main movie actually is in the plot of the tension and resolution. The equilibrium part is often the one that is not, there's also more, but that sets the background of the movie. Now, the Bible itself also, remember we said the Bible is one story, it goes in four parts creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Notice how the Bible starts. In Genesis 1, 1, it tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 28 and 26, 28 of that, he created man, he told man to flourish and to actually multiply and be fruitful all around the world. And then in Revelation 21, verse 1, at the end of it, he says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So it starts with, in the beginning, the heavens and the earth, and it ends with what? A new heaven and a new earth. Home and home again. Except now, as usual, the home again is always a little bit better than the home of before. Now, if you say, well, okay, he moves from creation to new creation, from one heaven and the earth, with two people into a new creation where he now has multitudes of people and multitudes of people. It's very easy to get there, right? If they obey his command to be fruitful, multiply, and cleanse the earth, then they would have gotten to that point. So at the end of the day, all we're looking for is multiplication. Multiplication and fruitfulness. If that was the case, our Bibles would be like, you know, 20 years onward exercise. But the Bible is large, right? Isn't it large? It's large because things didn't actually go according to plan. Enter Genesis chapter 3. We then have an antagonist, the evil one who comes in. He seduces the man and the woman. He causes them to sit. God gives them a particular story. He says you should flourish and you flourish under my at my authority because I am God and you are not. And he teases them and tempts them with another story. They too can be like God. And they actually fell for That's what we call the fall. And after that, we then see, you see, because when you rebel against God, it's not just the fact that you rebel against Him, it's that your life starts to become continually multiplied. You are always going to multiply and be fruitful. But now they multiply sin over and over again. And so this continues to move. Genesis 4, 5, 6, 7, we see they give birth to a person, he becomes a murderer, and then sin must pass over the earth. God actually destroys most people, eight people are left, but they start to reproduce, and they continue in their rebellion. Now they organize um, a, a, a sinful religion in Genesis chapter 11. 
and don't judge. So what is going to happen to God's promise? What's going to happen to God's fulfillment? You see, this is where everything gets exciting. Because in Genesis chapter 12, God now calls a man called Abraham. And really from Genesis chapter 12, we go through what we call the Old Testament. Everything, the plot actually thickens. Now this plot is not just a kind of actor comes, actor starts to, it's, it's, at this point it seems like things are going well, then things actually go down. Read the book of Judges, things just go down, go and go and go and But there is hope in the book of Ruth because God may actually be the king. His name is David. And David comes, and this family of Abraham that then become a nation who is in slavery and God has delivered and now brought into the promise and now have a king. Finally, everything is going to happen. Actually, this king who is actually after God's own heart himself is a sinner. He actually rebels against God. Eventually, he doesn't bring the promise that God wants. But he has a son who is going to be wiser than everybody else. He builds a kingdom, expands the kingdom, and before you know it, he actually starts to have too many women in his country. And from there onwards, everything starts to go south. Yeah, occasionally there were a few good kings that came up. The kingdom is now divided. Ten tribes actually go away, and now we're left with two. And the promise is, well, if you know, God sends prophets, keeps telling them, if you obey, if you obey. Most times they actually don't, and you keep thinking, he says, I'm going to judge, I'm going to judge, until they actually receive judgment on them. Just like Adam and Eve were banned from the garden, now this nation, through whom God's promise was going to come, actually banned from the promise. God, where they come back to the promised land, they think they're actually going to build things, you know, they build the temple, but those who have been there before the exile said, they wept, because the glory of the house that they've seen now is far, far here in comparison to what they have before. God, for 100 years, 400 years, they don't hear the voice of God, God's own people. And yet the prophets always spoke about the fact that God will still redeem his people. You see, you see promise, you see hope, and yet you see things beyond that. And that is where this statement of what God is trying to do comes in. You see, we've seen the tension, and the resolution then comes in Genesis 18, verse 26 and 46. Because Jesus has pointed the people back to where the story is. It's in the Bible, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. But what is he saying? He's saying the point of all of them, the point of this whole story is me. I am the one who actually resolves. I am that actor. But you see, this question, the, the thing is, this actor actually died. This actor actually died. This is why he tells the people, he says, why are you so slow to believe all that the prophets have said? Wasn't the Messiah, the one who was meant to redeem, was he not meant to suffer these things, die, but at the same time, rise again? And this is what we call the good news. You see, whatever you read in the Bible, if it's not pointing to this, going forward from the Old Testament, or pointing back to this, from the New Testament, you've actually not got the point. You've actually not read our Bible as well. Jesus says it's all about him. And when Jesus dies and he rises again, there are now benefits. The good news, you see, if today um, the, no, the finance minister, for instance, no, 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 that would work. Let's not go to CBN. The finance minister, okay, let's go back to CBN. All right? Let's just say the CBN governor says interest rates are being cut to 0.5%. 0.5%. Right? That's news, isn't it? Channels takes it up, right? AIT takes it up. 
no, well, AIG, ABC, maybe we won't take it off. But TVC, TVC takes it off. It's news, right? It's news. But that news always has implications, isn't it? For some businesses, actually, 0.5% interest rate, what happens when we start to borrow money, actually, we can now invest. News always has implications. And the good news of Jesus Christ always has implications. It means that people can join in God's story and people actually can be saved. Forgiveness of sins can then be preached. And then he gives us his spirit and then he keeps us in anticipation of the renewal of all things. Now that's God's story. And then he brings out the gospel for us. Now the final thing I want to then look at is whose story? And by that, what I'm saying is this. There are two stories that have been put forward to us. One is God's story. The other one is, in some sense, our culture story. Now, we as individuals, we either participate in any of those things. On a personal note, from your perspective, whatever larger story you actually decide to embrace is going to affect your own personal story. You see, your story determines who your God is. And what you see as the good news determines who your Savior is. And God is inviting us, all of us here today, and in fact the whole world, to respond to the story. Now there are two ways you can respond, depending on who you are in this time. You can either change, or you can reconfigure. Let me talk about changing your story. Now again, you may be a non-Christian here. Probably don't even care for the Bible. Somebody has invited you against your will. Maybe it's a girl you're trying to toast and says the only way you're going to do that. You've heard of convert and marry, right? So you're in the convert and marry stage, right? Okay, so you have to come to church. Okay, so let's say you're there. But you couldn't care less. You think all of this is baloney. You just think, ah, no. But now you're hearing something and you're seeing with your own story. Has your story actually turned out the way you wanted it to turn out? Are you tired of serving the God of wealth, romance, sex, power, influence because they're not delivering on their promise? Or the saviors that you've actually trusted, whether it's the ones that will bring a, a good investment or the ones that bring a, 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 a wonderful spouse, how is that going for you? But if you've actually got them, is it exactly what you expected? You see, God is offering you the change of the story. In God's own story, it's saying that yes, you have rebelled against him for choosing another story and therefore another God instead of him. But the difference with any other kind of religion is that you are not immediately punished. Yeah, there is punishment, but the punishment is already self-inflicted. God says that despite how you are going, he still loves you. Scandalous. Most times we love people because we find the people to be loved according to their behavior. And the Bible tells us in God's story that God loved us despite our ungodliness. Scandalous grace. And all he's asking for you is change your story. Because if you actually accept Jesus Christ in that particular story as your savior, you would receive a savior who gave his life for you and not your life. You see, many of us are chasing wealth as the only good in our life. What happens? Things suffer. Our health suffer. Our marriage suffer. Our children suffer. Even though we think we're doing the best for them. Every other God that you actually serve will tell you to give your life for them. Jesus is the only God who gives his life for you. 
and one more thing on that. It's unlike in our own particular stories that we set and the culture set. We can't actually predict whether or not we'll actually fail or succeed. And even if we succeed, we can't actually be sure that that success does not guarantee us. But if you change your story and join in God's story, you will be guaranteed success in this larger story, and I can guarantee this success will never be And for some of us here who profess to be believers, God is also asking us to respond. He's actually calling us to reconfigure our stories. You see, both as unbelievers and believers, what we are looking for is the burning heart. It says, didn't our hearts burn when he opened up the scriptures for us? And for us as Christians, or professing Christians, here's what we normally do. We don't deny that there is a God. We don't deny there is a story. In fact, we actually say we embrace the story, but we also embrace the cultural stories, and here's how we actually act. We take God's story, and we subsume it under this other story. In other words, we take the cultural story, make it our larger story, and then fit God's own story and make it smaller. What does that lead to? Well, it leads to, you see, in the, in the disciples here, in verse 19, verse 21, they're taking a particular view of Jesus Christ, and they're not taking the larger view. That's why he took them back to the scriptures. They took the view that, well, this guy is going to be the one to redeem Israel because he's a miracle worker. They never saw a Messiah who was actually, yes, a miracle worker, a prophet, but was also a savior to that had to die. And this is what we do. We take one part of what God has said, we make it the larger thing, call it God's own story, and then take the real God's story and we actually make it small. In other words, we turn God into a genie. You know a genie, right? A genie is extremely powerful. A genie can give you everything you want if you rub him the right way, but a genie is still an almighty powerful being that is a sin. And in many of us cases, maybe that's how we start to treat God. God is this ultimate cosmic ATM machine. We want him to do all the things, the dreams that we have set up for ourselves. But we know that he's the only one that can give us. And so God becomes the genie that gives us a husband or a wife. He gives us fame. He gives us wealth. In other words, we have a small God that actually serves our larger house. Or put it this way. The Bible says that God created us in our image and likeness. What we are trying to do is to create a God in our image and likeness. So what is he calling us to do? Reconfigure the story. Make God's own story, his larger story of actually bringing us and calling us to actually find our identity in him and to actually look forward to the world that he's actually going to create that there will be no more wars and that we'll have utter felicity with him forever. And then subsume all our own personal stories under that. Does that mean that your personal story will change? Yes, it will. And joyfully so. But I can assure you this. The God who then says, this is what you are called to do. You are called to be witnesses, verses 48 and 49. To be a witness is not just to tell people about him, that he is risen from the dead, and now he is the Lord of the world. That's one part of it. But to be witnesses is to say, let me live in a way that he's actually called me to live. And you can do that. Why? Because he told them to try. He's going to send power. God sends his power, calls us to live our lives in a way that confronts the story and narrative our culture gives. If we actually embrace God's story and the power that he gives in the Holy Spirit, 
we will no longer be tyrants as leaders. We will now be more loving husbands willing to sacrifice our lives for our wives. We will be better workers, not always complaining because the situation is hard. Because we no longer live for our bosses or our paycheck, we work for the Lord Jesus Christ. We will be more generous and kinder people and more secure in the value that God has purchased us in. Guys, one of us has a bad story and a strong story. Question to you is this. Will you change your story or will you reconfigure your story? Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.